Hi, everybody. Welcome to Podcast of a Lady on Fire, where we explore the filmmaking themes and community involved in Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. We are your hosts. I'm Laurel Hachinova. And I'm Audrey Vandernee. That's my <laughs> new name. I've always wanted <laughs> some more syllables in my name. So. Okay, yeah. My last name's so short. Do you not have a middle name? Well, I don't know if you want to hear the story now. I was not given a middle name at birth. At one point in my life, I got a domestic partnership with someone. And so you can fill in a blank of a middle name if you do. And so I gave myself the middle name Zephyr so that my initials would be... A-Z-N. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And then when that domestic partnership was dissolved, Uh I removed my middle name. Oh, wow. So... (laughs) <laughs> so I no longer have one. There was a period of time where you did have a middle name and yes. it was Zephyr. That's great. Yeah. Yep. That's a great story. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and I actually did consider getting Vander seriously, but <laughs> we'll save that for a topic of another podcast episode. <laughs> because today, Laurel, we are celebrating... Yay! (laughs) The U.S. release of the film, which came out on, of course, February 14th. 2020, which is when I was typing that out, I'm like, wait a second. No, that can't be. Was it really 2020? Because doesn't it feel like the film came out yeah. several years ago? I've lived with this film for a very long time now. It feels like I've lived with At it least for a like a lifetime. Life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. It's also, or it was, I guess, when this episode comes out, it will have been Adele and Elle's birthday, which Aww, was on February 11th. Yeah. Happy birthday. So, yeah, happy birthday to Adele and Elle and the U.S. release of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And also, happy birthday to the first time I saw Portrait. Yeah, happy birthday to that great time for you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So, we're going to be celebrating, in typical Podcast of a Lady on Fire fashion, sharing 28 things that we love about Portrait as sort of, I guess, of Valentine's mm. to the movie, which is disgusting. <laughs> Just kidding. Love is awesome. Okay, so we've done 28 things you may have missed, uh-huh. 28 more things, and then uh-huh. 28 BDE right. moments. And so this will be our fourth 28. Mm-hmm. Let's do 28, 28. <laughs> oh, one other thing. So one of our listeners gave us this idea. And because we are stupid assholes, <laughs> because uh, I don't know what happened, but I can't figure out who suggested this originally we do try to keep pretty meticulous notes we have yeah. literally spreadsheets spreadsheets plural with you know comments and questions that people have, have left us and we could not find it we we both spent a decent amount of time searching yeah we come through our instagram dms and stuff we asked our imaginary intern where it is <laughs> and <laughs> which sounds like a joke but it's not <laughs> And we can find it. So, okay, if you are the person who suggested this idea of 28 things we love about Portrait, please reach out to us and we will give you a shout out the next episode. And in the meantime, thank you very much. It was, yes, it was super you. fun to do. A couple of quick disclaimers before we dive in. Of course, we still don't speak French, so we are going to continue to apologize for that and anything that we might mispronounce. And we are also assuming that you've watched the movie because if you don't, we're going to have a bunch of spoilers uh, if you haven't. So that's it. Let's dive in. All right. All right. So it's not in the order of like least important to most important. Yes. But it is. They are in groupings. <laughs> yeah. I think there's like sort of themes you'll see. But 
just to reiterate, this is not like a countdown to like number one right. or anything right, like that. Right. So the first thing that we love about Portrait is Portrait Nation. Yay! And yeah, like we we were actually talking about this a few days ago, and we love how this community is one of the most kind and creative fandoms that either of us have been a part of. Everyone, like, we have really interesting conversations with all of you, and we are privy to a lot of interesting discussions that you have with each other. The stuff that you post on Instagram and Tumblr and elsewhere, Twitter, is funny and smart and often leads us down really interesting rabbit holes. So, yeah, number one, Portrait Nation. I like the idea of... (laughs) Being privy to other conversations sounds like <laughs> yeah, we're just like, 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 like and... <laughs> voyeurs of Portrait Nation, <laughs> which is kind of true. Yeah, like everything that's come out of it, right? Including the fan fiction, all the other creations that well, we'll talk that about Well, that kind of gets into second. number two. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Well, then in that case, the second thing on our list of things that we love about this film is the fan art. I cannot believe just, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? Because the film is about art in so many ways. Right. So it makes sense that we would kind of like echo that in, you know, what we're creating after watching it. I can't think of another community where it's like people are making so much art. It's just like so prolific. And it's so many different kinds too. It's really, it's really cool. Yeah. It's a lot of, you know, everything from like traditional mediums to, I think I've seen, there was that um, Korean like trailer made. Oh yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, like the comics, like Rosella Cruz does comics, Xiao Jing. Mm Mm-hmm early on as well, to like paintings, like Hollow Studios does the landscapes, Bad Portrait Fan Art does awesome, awesome drawings as well. I love them. Or like back on the video thing, Page 28 Club's Mm -hmm. interview with the Ottoman. I thought that was hilarious. That was great. Oh, that was so good. And like the recuts of the film to make the horror trailer and and stuff like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so much of it is so high quality yeah yeah (laughs) you know i'm just so i'm like constantly impressed with the talent of the fans yeah and oh there's music that people have made Mm. sound by laura did the power one remix goonish potom did a couple of power one covers and i feel like we're still even forgetting so many things can you think of a medium that hasn't been explored yet that you'd like to see video game oh (laughs) oh yeah oh like a cute 8-bit yeah you know what though you know what you know what Animal Crossing, there has been portrait crossover. Oh, nice. So that's great. That's, yeah, yeah. that's pretty close, actually. I think someone actually did do like an 8-bit GIF of a portrait I've of Lady Empire too. video yeah. game. Yeah. And in association with like an online zine that they might have mm. they might have done, I think. Video game would be good. I'm trying to think of anything else. Sculpture? <laughs> I've seen some sculpture. Like I've seen someone made like a cake topping. Cake topping? Oh, yeah, cake? yeah, yeah. So we've already got, yeah, there's food. <laughs> so yeah, we love it. We love the fan art. <laughs> keep on keep it on all right number three on our list is the minimalism in the film itself so the way that Celine was able to convey as much as she did with such a small cast a relatively small amount of dialogue and maybe 50 to 80 percent of the communication is actually just meaningful glances the wardrobe also was you know not a lot of costume changes here but the wardrobe was also still so important so the fact that she did so much with so little is amazing and something that we've both come to appreciate yeah there's like nothing superfluous about the film and yeah it's like not ornate but it doesn't feel like it's lacking at all either which isn't amazing i think part of it is like what she's done 
with the things that are more subtle, right? Like, which we'll get into in, in a second, mm-hmm. like the rhythm and stuff. I think those things aren't necessarily like minimal, but they're not on the surface, right? So it's all about like this subversion, which we'll also get into as well. I should <laughs> stop talking because I'm just spoiling our 28. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. So related to that, our fourth thing on our list is the pacing and the rhythm of the film. So just to get like technical, I'll just sort of like define these things, I guess. So pacing is considered the speed at which a a sequence flows. So for example, like a slow pace sequence is usually made up of shots of similarly long duration, if that makes sense. And then rhythm, when you think about like editing, applies to sort of changing the pace, either gradually or suddenly during a scene or sequence. And I think on paper, this film would seem like it would move really slowly because there's a lot of sequences of like long-ish takes for a film. But I think because of the deliberate rhythm, not the editing rhythm, but the rhythm of like the breathing and the walking, Mm -hmm. the steps, there's this like movement to the film that Mm -hmm. never makes it feel slow, at least to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like the choreography of this rhythm sort of, it almost provides this like soundtrack to the film for a film that doesn't have really a soundtrack. Yeah, a little bit more on that, just because like it it still blows my mind how she's such a, a precise filmmaker. Like Mm -hmm. she's taken all of these things and she's made them work together so that she doesn't need to do a lot of extra things. Like she doesn't need to have a very ornate set to make it feel like it's taking place in the 18th century. She doesn't have to have a bunch of costume changes to give you more context on the characters. Like the Countess could have Mm -hmm. totally had a bunch of like ridiculous costumes, right? And she didn't and it worked fine. It doesn't feel like a slow movie because she thought so much about the pacing and rhythm. You know, it's yeah. just we'll get into this later. But, you know, it <laughs> makes me look at all other films like they are these bombastic, garish. You know, <laughs> like, like, whoa, what are you doing with like all this stuff? Why didn't you know, why do you need all this stuff? I apparently portrait didn't give me a larger vocabulary with which to speak about film but because <laughs> we'll, it's we'll in get, french yeah we'll get into it later yeah oh i can talk about it in french give you though a yeah larger larger yeah larger french vocabulary <laughs> what happens when you watch an avengers film now it's like i oh can't even process God. yeah <laughs> i can't Im- imagine watching any of like the transformers movies now cuz like i couldn't oh, understand yeah. them when i watched them the first time absolutely <laughs> yeah i think i think what i was trying to say earlier is like things were happening on such a subconscious level that even though it would seem like the film would seem slow, it's like you're processing things subconsciously because of all the deliberate choices that she made that we don't necessarily like actually visually see in the film, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And that leads to number five, which is essentially everything about the sound of the film. So when we talk about sound, we're also talking about silence. The negative space that she creates is as important as the like the things that she takes out are as important as what she leaves in the way that she has used music through the film sparsely and impactfully there's no score as we've talked about before and it doesn't need one right because of everything that she's done with the rhythm and pacing the song that was created for the film is i remember the first time i watched the movie and that scene came on and the voices were starting out with that that weird discordant droning yeah sound, yeah sound and i was like what is happening and it's kind of the you know the expressions that marianne and eloise had on their faces as well and i kept like looking at Allie, and i was like what is this <laughs> and then it you know and then it happened and then the clapping and it was like it felt the song felt timeless right because it didn't mm-hmm. feel like something necessarily that 
came out of the 18th century choral traditions, right? But it did feel like it could have happened at that place. It didn't feel like, you know, they were doing some kind of techno piece or something. But um, it also felt modern at the same time. So it felt like it could have been centuries old or new, which was amazing. So it didn't feel anachronistic. Mm-hmm. And then to tie the beginning of Eloise's and Marianne's relationship together, like to bookend it with the Vivaldi piece is just like, it gives me chills thinking about it because it's so it's so tender. It's such a tender way to like bookend the movie with Marianne playing it at the beginning and then Eloise listening to it in full at the end. It was just like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that I every time I watch a film now, I pay way more attention to mm-hmm. the sound design, but especially the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of surprising. I, I kind of want to go back and watch more films that I like loved in the past and look at it through that lens because Personally, I find now that a lot of music is almost like disruptive for for me. Yeah. Like we both saw the world to come. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, maybe that was kind of an exception and I probably would have noticed the uh, score (laughs) even before Portrait. But yeah, but post Portrait, it's like, what is this? (laughs) Yeah. It's like sound plays a different role for me when I'm watching films now. Yeah. And we don't want to spoil the world to come soundtrack for you so when you do finally mm. watch it or if you already have please dm us your thoughts about the <laughs> score okay number six is equality <laughs> and i challenge you to name not just you anyone to name <laughs> another film where two characters enter into a relationship on equal footing similar to or you know Equal footing, footing equal, equal to, to this. There you <laughs> yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> or even close. <laughs> because I think typically in like, especially a romantic film, you usually have one character who's like the, the pursuer. Pursuer. Right? Yeah, totally. Or, yeah. or in like more of a position of power, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or more dominant. So I can't think of something, but I'm please prove me wrong. Maybe Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> No, please cut that. You know, that's a good point. Maybe we should pivot to Fifty Shades of Grey podcast. <laughs> yeah, perfect, yeah. Portrait of Fifty Shades of Grey on fire. Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey on fire. Fifty Eight Shades of a Lady on Fire. Twenty Eight Shades of Grey. Twenty Eight Shades. Oh, fine. Fine. <laughs> fine. You heard it here first. <laughs> We're Almost now called Twenty Eight Shades of Grey. A little over half the shades of grey. Wow. we're only number six we're really spiraling yeah so i think this is going to come back but seeing that i think for the first time really probably in a film was pretty mind-blowing and really makes you like reevaluate how you see other relationships not just in like films but think about like relationships in your life in general or at least for me you know yeah yeah and it was like even though i think lesbian relationships don't have that same sort of like off the bat Mm. dynamic that heterosexual relationships tend to have when they're depicted this one still had like i feel like when i've seen lesbian relationships depicted in media usually at least one of them is like coming to terms with the fact that she's a lesbian and that becomes kind of a weird sort of dynamic but here they were just kind of discovering each other at the same time and at the same pace yeah yeah at the same height, at the same age. <laughs> at the same height and age. <laughs> oh, yeah. At the same gaze. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this leads into our number seven, which is that it overall, this, the film added more depth to my feminism 
like the the portrayal of this kind of equality was new to me and really just kind of shifted my mindset about a lot of things. It made me think about my relationship in real life with my girlfriend. It's like I now have a greater appreciation for how equal we tend to keep things in our lives. Are you the same height? <laughs> no, she's taller than me. <laughs> <laughs> I either have to cut her down or I'm going to oh have to grow. So <laughs> <laughs> or wear platforms, you know, like... Oh, yeah. Oh, I like can wear heels, less right. <laughs> physically violent ways to gain equality. That's a great idea. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but also, like, the the conversations around the film just, like, Watching the activism of the people involved in the film have been great. Watching how they intersect their feminism with social justice causes has added more depth to the way that I think about the way that I participate outwardly in the world. Okay, that leads us to number eight, which is the female gaze. (laughs) Zoom, zoom. Wait, not female lays. The female gaze. I don't know what the lasers. Oh, lasers. The female lasers. Like, oh, jeez. No, not like lays. Like, oh my god, forget it. Like, I meant like lays as a short for laser. Who says that? Nobody says lays me, short for me. Laser. I say it. <laughs> so this film made me realize that the female gaze is so rare yeah. in other films. Yeah. I didn't even realize how male gazy that like 99.999% of films are until I saw a portrait. Yeah. Yeah. Just in like the way that women are observed and portrayed. What they get to talk about. If they even get to talk. Right. Right. If they get <laughs> if they to don't talk. don't get murdered. Yeah. I know there are other like, you know, feminist directors who, who have captured the female gaze before, but it's so rare that I feel like. I didn't even realize that how objectified women were in films until I saw a film where they were not. Yeah. Yeah. The things that they get to do or not do, like the their position in the plot, you know, it's like, are they just forwarding male plots forward? Are they just there to like give men in the story more insights or knowledge or like when when a wife dies so that the husband becomes this like vengeful yes. person like it, it just using women as like it's a an means to something yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 just like a tool to to move the plot forward but not really have any sort of purpose on their own right right you yeah know? yeah yeah it's not just films right it's like right. books and television anything that involves storytelling historically that's yeah. the position of women and a lot of times, even if, if a movie is female-fronted, the side characters who are will often maybe not even be female, like the surrounding cast will often still be largely male. And if there are women in the cast, they're usually relegated to much lower storylines. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So female gaze. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see... You know how there, there's a Bechtel test? I'd love to see the, like... Siama test. Oh at man! Some point. Oh my God! Nothing would pass. Nothing would like pass. almost nothing would pass. Yeah. Okay, so obviously we're still on the same theme. Um, number nine is the audience as an active participant, and not just like the typical observer that we are for most films, where we're just sort of passively watching. This is sort of like reflected in the film, right? Between Marianne and Eloise, I mm-hmm. feel like we're in yeah. the position of. Marianne throughout the film and this film sort of asks us to reevaluate like how we look at subjects on screen right Mm -hmm. and like think about them also as an active participant like the actors in the creation of this art and I think the way that like Celine Siama and like Claire Matan is that how you pronounce it Mm -hmm. the DP how they thought about like 
the camera placement, the angles, mm. the proxemics to the characters, it puts us in this position of like, we're at like eye level with them. We're often like arms distance away, which is like not quite intimate, but it's close. Like we're there mm. in the scene with them. And I think it just makes us think about like the conversation we're having with the film in the same way that the actors are having or the characters are having with each other. I feel like you could write an entire book on this. <laughs> and so I'm just like scratching the surface here. But yeah, it's an important thing to call out because it's not something personally I've seen in a lot of films, like many of the things we're talking about right, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. How do I opposite jump scare? Number 10 is the lack of dudes. <laughs> how, do, how do I opposite jump scare? What does that mean? Because <laughs> it, it like... The... Maybe go in with a slow hug. Is that yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, ask for consent? And then, okay, and then yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Don't go with a slow like... hug. That's like actually, that's actually kind of gross. Creepy. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, gross. Yeah, wow. number ten on the list of things that we love about Portrait is the lack of dudes. Dudes have so many other movies to be in, so it was nice to have one that is is mostly focused on women, and it felt great. Like it felt. Like, we weren't missing anything. <laughs> it was a, a refreshing change of pace to be able to focus entirely on a love story that just had women in it. Yeah, I think kind of similar to some of the other stuff we said. It's like, I didn't even realize how dude-heavy everything yeah. else was because it's just the default. Yeah. You know, the stories, the characters, everything. Um, I love that I literally gasped when I saw a guy <laughs> yeah. for, for pretty yeah, much like the yeah, first totally. time, right? Yeah, yeah. So I welcome more of that. Yeah, that would be great. Okay, so this is related to, but number 11 is the the general like subversiveness of this film, not just subverting the male gaze and the idea of the subject in art of the muse as the muse, I guess, but also the sex scene, you know, mm-hmm. the entire film to me is just like an act of subversion or expectations. Yeah, yeah, the lack of dudes, mostly women, like nearly all women in front of the camera and also mostly women behind the camera was... It's weird that that's subversive, but I mean... It's 2021 and it's subversive. Yeah, I was... Exactly what you just said. I was actually going to add that to the lack of dudes. Like, not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera, right? Like, the director, screenwriter, cinematographer, casting director, costume designer. And it felt like it, you know? Like, it felt like it through the film. Yeah, you could feel it. It felt safe and, yeah, very... Yeah, very woman's friendly. All right, number 12 on our list of things we love are the endings. The ending slash the endings of this film. All of them were needed. And obviously I can't picture it having been done any other way. Mm -hmm. But it was great to get an ending to the outer story where it's Marianne, modern day. But then also the two endings to their love story. And it was just done so beautifully. So heartbreakingly, but beautifully. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this is an interesting one to talk about because on the one hand, it's like we've been drawn into this romance and all of us probably want it to continue, right? (laughs) Maybe some of us don't. (laughs) But it's like, for me, even though it was so painful, the third ending, the last ending, for me, I felt like, and maybe I'm saying this now in retrospect because I'm, I'm like more removed from it and it's been a while since I've seen the film in whole, but I feel like it's so necessary and it looks at love in this way that we don't typically look at love, I think, in romance, where it's almost like this alternative way to like continue loving someone. Yeah, yeah. So many, so many like incredible, powerful relationships end. 
you know, and like that's reality. I mean, most marriages end in divorce. Yeah. I think this concept of like happily ever after, again, she's subverting this idea, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's doing it in a way where she's not killing someone, right. which is so nice and refreshing. It was actually like maybe the first time that I felt like sometimes filmmakers or storytellers do things and they say, this is just an honest depiction of Ugh. what this story was going to be like. And it's like, yeah, but you made it really mean or, you know, like they, they often do it in a way that feels just a little bit over the top. One of the things I have in mind right now, and I don't know how many people have seen it, is like Promising Young Woman. Mm-hmm. And it's like when something like that is labeled as being honest, it kind of feels like an easy out for the filmmaker. Like Celine showed a quote unquote ending to a love story that is actually sort of indicating that it's continued you know it's like their relationship is clearly still very much alive within her you know because she's feeling so many things listening to the song and so it's like it it is definitely honest to the time they most likely would not have been able to live together and you know have a relationship it was honest in that sense but i think subversively she showed us that it was still like real and ongoing and so it didn't just end with like marianne leaving which is where i think a lesser filmmaker probably would have ended that story. (laughs) It's like, all right, that's it. They're done, you know. But she was able to show us with multiple endings that the end isn't necessarily an end the way that we would think about it. Yeah, and I think when you reference Promising a Woman and, like, how when asked about, like, why something happened to them yeah. and your responses as a filmmaker like it's it's like an honest depiction of what would happen to someone maybe at that time yeah i just think like it's maybe honest but it's not only right right it's yeah, not yeah, like yeah that's a good point. there was only one way for things to happen and it seems like less creative to take the route yeah, that is right. expected yeah. in that sense and i think yeah celine yeah. did the opposite of that which is she like went the unexpected route but she acknowledges that you yeah. know it's like she didn't like have them buy a castle together and like live together. <laughs> right, right, you know, or exactly. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, how do I second to this? I don't even know. Okay, speaking of endings. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. Does it even work? Yeah. Keep going. So, number 13 is sometimes you reach for your pockets and it feels like an ending, but then there's really pockets. Okay, sorry. Wow. No, that was terrible. No, wow. no, 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 no. Um, so, the reason why we have pockets as a separate <laughs> a separate item here is because, well, I'll speak for myself first and then I'll speak for Laurel. Um, oh, thanks. That's great. <laughs> Equality, y'all. <laughs> is that like the podcast version of like, she'll be having the salad? <laughs> oh my God. Another great name for a podcast. <laughs> she'll be having the salad. Um <laughs> But even, so even though it's probably historically accurate, I think a lot of people wouldn't have included the pockets, right? Yeah. In the in the wardrobe. And that's true. When I saw that scene, when she put her hands in the pockets, I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was equivalent to like the jump scare in terms of like sticking out to me because it's yeah. just not something you really ever see that I can think of, you know, in, in other films. And so I think even if you didn't notice the pockets, you still like on a subconscious level feel like something's different about what's happening in front mm-hmm. of you. But I also think that the pockets are just an indication of the level of thought that Celine has put into this movie. You know, it's like she doesn't do like background stories on her characters. At least that's what I've heard her talk about. But she has thought about them so deeply that she knows that they would want this very utilitarian thing 
She has thought about her characters so much that she has crafted their clothing with, like, this level of detail, right? Like, mm-hmm. Marianne probably is pensive and puts her hands in her pockets. The the Countess keeps, like, tiny payment envelopes in her pockets, you know? <laughs> yeah, pockets. Like, who who else would have thought of that? I don't know. I like what you said about, like, even if you didn't necessarily notice it consciously, you probably notice it subconsciously because you're right. It does change your posture or it changes Marianne's yeah. posture, like the way she's standing, right? Yeah. Like that scene where she's in front of, like, the abortionist's house. She just has this presence that's probably more casual or but like confident yeah yeah, confident. Confident. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 totally if it had been for the pockets who knows like her hands may have been like flailing around well right? no that's a great that's a great point because like think about it where would her hands have been if she didn't have pockets they probably would have been like clasped in sort front of, of her, demurely like, demurely exactly yeah in front yeah. of her yeah yeah Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, she would have just like noodle arms, like <laughs> and she's like, I'm she's nervous. Like, I don't know what's what happening. We're all, we're doing noodle arms in case you're wondering. <laughs> I mean, we're always. doing It's noodle not even arms, like but... the first time that we've done noodle arms <laughs> in the podcast. Sub note to this to number thirteen being pockets though is just generally I left this film with a greater appreciation for modern clothing. Mm. Also, like because of the way that they show how restrictive their day-to-day clothing is so they've got like the it's not really is it a corset like i guess kind of like the thing that ties in the back you know it's a corset sophie has to take off like when she's at the abortionist or the way that when they're hanging out at home they're in more like loose lighter comfortable clothing but then when they go out they have to have like literally three layers of clothing on with like you know framing (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and it's heavy and it's like yeah makes it really difficult to scale cliffs but she does it anyway so yeah (laughs) it gave me a greater appreciation for what they had to deal with back then but then also the fact that i can just wear like sweatpants and a (laughs) t-shirt which is literally what i wear every day yeah totally (laughs) yeah that just made me think of like sophie running on the beach it's hard to run in sand period let alone with a billion layers of you know upholstery essentially on your body right yeah So number 14, speaking of pockets, I can't, I always, I want, always want to say like the 14th thing we love. So number 14 is the way that the film focuses on hands. It's especially interesting for a lesbian film because (laughs) uh, hands are very particular to lesbian relationships. (laughs) What did, I was trying to remember what Heather Petricelli referred to them as, like, did she say they were like the lesbian sex organ or something like that? It sounded Maybe, like, yeah, that sounds about right. It sounded more poetic, whatever she said. Yeah. I'm like, lesbian <laughs> sex organ. Mm, so erotic. <laughs> These are like you're having sex, arm you're genitals. Like, yes. Oh, God. <laughs> Stick your arm genital in my... Okay, all right. Okay, god. cutting that out. Oh, my God. This is just became not PG anymore. Oh, my God. Okay. I haven't gone back and counted. We've done a fire episode. Maybe we should do a hand episode. Hands, but yeah, yeah. I do think there are a lot of scenes where there's just focus on hands, where it's almost like a close-up on hands, even in the painting, um, the yeah. way that, you know, focusing on Marianne painting, but also like Eloise posing. And then, you know, there's that scene on the beach where she is drawing the hand, mm-hmm, like sketching yeah. the hand, the close-up of Sophie doing the embroidery. When Marianne takes a drink, she pours the water, she takes a drink, and then she hides her hands behind her back. Oh, that's right. Yes. Also, there's a scene where she puts her fingers in, in her armpit. What? Um. what? That was cut in the version I saw. <laughs> I will say that it's also nice that one of the ways that Celine brings a focus on 
women and their work is through this focus on hands. Like getting to see Marianne or actually, you know, Ellen Delmer paint in real time is really cool. You know, I feel like a lot of times we don't get to see women's being women, women's. <laughs> we don't get to see women's being craftspeople, <laughs> like craftswomen's. <laughs> so I think that those lingering shots of them doing this kind of work were really important and impactful. Yeah, we're probably used to seeing like hands washing dishes or like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, on to the 15th thing we love about portrait. It is giving us portrait lens. <laughs> <laughs> I believe Kaisun came up with this term. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I love it. I think I think just having a term for the way that we look at things now, sort of like the aftershock, right? And like the reverberation of the film in our lives. Mm -hmm. For me and for probably most of us, we've just generally become more like critical and thoughtful about how we, we look at film and media in general. Sometimes I think what that means is like nothing compares to portrait, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. which is fine. Mm -hmm. I think I've gotten to the point where I... I try not to compare anything to portrait because it's just impossible. It's like it's yeah. on a planet of its own, right? But it's definitely like because of all the things that we've just been talking about, it makes me think more critically about the like film I'm consuming, you know, and like yeah. putting in my body <laughs> with my hands. Okay, sorry, I don't know what's going How on. How do you consume film? <laughs> yeah. Wait, yeah, what am I doing? I don't know. <laughs> I'm very noodle army when I watch movies. <laughs> I like that the portrait lens is also mostly subconscious now, you know, like mm -hmm. I'll, I'll watch things and I'll notice things about, like you were saying earlier, like sound design. And I won't be thinking, oh, this is not like portrait sound design. It's just like, oh, now I think about sound design right. differently. Do you feel like it's equivalent to like getting a master's in something where it just kind of becomes part of like the way you look at things? Oh, maybe, yeah, because you can't. I don't know. I don't know. It did kind of feel like not that I've ever had this done, but like cataract removal, you know? What? It, well, it's sort of <laughs> like because I thought you were going with that. <laughs> wow, it's oh, just you know because you you find a new level of clarity, oh. right? And you look at everything differently, right? Because there's sort of a liberation in this film. It's not mm. like we are necessarily maybe it's not a lens. Like maybe right. I'm not like maybe I'm not wearing glasses, but maybe I've had like cataracts right. removed. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your yeah. analogy, um, and I'm finally seeing clearly for the first time. Oh. Like the male gaze was actually like cataracts. Yeah. Totally. Maybe it's like LASIK. Yeah. It's the LASIK of films. <laughs> God. It kind of feels like it. Yeah, I don't know. Is LASIK a, like an American branding of that type of search? Because it's like trademarked, right? I it is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Are we sponsored? Is this our, our first Oh my God, LASIK is like our LASIK first sponsor. <laughs> so Speaking weird. of portrait lens. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to bring your attention to our newest sponsor, LASIK. <laughs> LASIK eye surgery. <laughs> All right. Number 16 is a greater appreciation for women artists, both back then <laughs> in history and uh, modern day. Um, we've done a couple of posts on this in Instagram, but by watching Marianne's story and talking to Laura a few several podcast episodes ago, I didn't realize, first off, how little I really knew about what it was like for women artists back then. Like, I, I knew that they existed. I knew that there were a few painters who had been able to somehow, like, learn to paint under usually probably like Marianne did her father, you know, their father's or show their work under their father's names, you know? 
So against all odds, these women still became artists. But I'd never had I'd never had a very rounded out vision of them as human beings. And so it was great to get that from portrait. And then that sort of led us to like think about women who are artists now and you know what they're doing. And we did a, a post on Instagram for um, embroidery. It was cool to like just pause and think like, oh wait, we have women who are doing this now. Let's see what's going on in the world of embroidery. And of course, we started with looking at the person who did the the embroidery for the movie, who is Colleen Bavois, and then we just dug around the internet basically and found other women who are working in embroidery and textiles and they're brilliant you know like their work is intricate and in many cases like emotionally meaningful and resonant so the film for me opened my mind to things that I hadn't thought about women women artists in the past as well as giving me a greater appreciation for contemporary women artists what what you were saying just made me think about how like all the female artists that like were somehow like suppressed their mm-hmm. work was suppressed or just never seen before yeah. or stolen stolen by a man and like under his name right i mean that still happens i get re-obsessed with this like every few years but marcel duchamp with the urinal mm. there's very good evidence to believe that that was actually submitted by a female friend of his and then he took credit for it after she died. That's just so nuts. And like, I mean, that's happening more recently. Well, actually, maybe that's maybe around the same time, but you know, like the Keen, the guy who did the like big eye oh, paintings. Right, yeah. And like, Ooh. those were all his freaking wives, like, like the whole yeah, time. Yeah, and like, yeah. he still contests it, but like, she has like absolute concrete proof, you know? Right. Ah! It's like, <laughs> wait, we should say their name. Oh, yeah, of course. So the real artist's name is Margaret Keene. Oh, great. Okay, yeah. And then the woman who um, apparently actually came up with the ready-made is Elsa von Freytag Loring Hoven. Mm. She is a baroness. <laughs> yeah, and then this is kind of a spoiler, I guess, but we both saw a personal shopper recently, and there's this artist, well, the work of this artist named Hilma Afklint. It's Swedish. I, I don't mm. know. I'm sorry if I pronounced that correctly. Who at first I thought was like fictional in the film, like it was created for it. But then I looked her up and it turns out she was like this real person who existed in, you know, like the mid 19th century, whose work was just like totally disre- like her entire, yeah. she had like hundreds and hundreds of paintings. And they were like these abstract paintings that predated anything else similar that yeah. like a man has done. And it wasn't really discovered until the 70s, yeah. you know? Yeah. So just stuff like that is just so bonkers to me. Yeah. I mean, it's not bonkers because I'm not, none of it's surprising. It's just, right, it's just right, super right. effed up, you know? Yeah. Which brings us to number 17, Ooh, which is that is we, <laughs> I, think, I think so. The film also gave us a greater appreciation for safe spaces for women, mm. like convents. And it also gave us a greater appreciation for just generally what life was like for women in that time and yeah. how it compares to now and how it could still be better than it even is now. We were talking about Laura about it, right? Like how for some yeah. women it was, it was like a better alternative to getting married, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that leads us to 18. Speaking of safe spaces, <laughs> what is a safer space than a coven? Yeah. All I have to say about this one is, okay, so yeah, I mean, appreciation for the coven in this film, but like, can we just get more covens in films moving forward (laughs) you know it was just like such this refreshing scene that i don't you know i can't think of another film where it was except maybe the witch which i won't spoil a 
for anyone. <laughs> but yeah, where you weren't necessarily expecting like something quite this witchy in this film, but mm-hmm. it also fit perfectly. Yeah. And it felt so alive. And, you know, I can't think of another depiction of a group of women in the 18th century that seemed so like free. Like mm-hmm. when Sophie chugged wine from that, like straight from the bottle, I was like, oh, this is a different <laughs> this is a different kind of depiction of women gathering in the 18th century. And it was really nice. Yeah, I think it's the closest thing to like a lesbian utopia maybe <laughs> yeah. that I've seen. I mean, we don't know. We So little of what's going on in their lives is actually depicted, right? right so we're yeah. just kind of filling in the gaps. But I picture that they probably, you know, chant and sing and clap and drink wine <laughs> regularly. Around a, a bonfire. Yeah, totally. And sell drugs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah, around a bonfire, right? Yeah, totally. Oh, and then also provide a, a board of services. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's it's cool that the kids were there too. Like, you know, someone's daughters were there. Like, so when Sophie goes to talk to the abortionist, there are two little girls that are like standing mm. next to her, one of which I oh, think right, at right, least right. will be in the clinic, but, or in the, the hut. <laughs> I thought you were going to say in the sequel. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be great. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and they're like throwing twigs into the bonfire and it's really Yeah. Cool. It's adorable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, speaking of which, oh, uh, this brings us to number 19. We're so good at this. We're getting better. <laughs> we're professionals. <laughs> Can't wait to connect 19 and 20, but let's not move let's ahead not, of ourselves. Let's not look at that. Okay. okay. Great. Yeah. So <laughs> we love the film's depiction of abortion. We love that it was depicted at all. We mm-hmm. love the way in which it was depicted. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think I might just stop with like the fact that it was depicted at all, honestly, because it was clearly an important part in in women's lives and it it still is so for it to finally get this kind of recognition was a little mind-blowing yeah yeah not only is it not often depicted but the fact that they depicted like the entire process almost right Mm -hmm. from like the abortive gymnastics to like harvesting the rue yeah i think it also highlights how abortions have been basically happening since forever Mm -hmm. legally illegally in creative ways so yeah Abortion. Do I <laughs> get to, to do I'm number 20? One? Oh, yeah. I just, I oh, segued okay. into abortion. Okay, shoot. You got it. You got it. <laughs> Something that hasn't happened forever is electricity. <laughs> that's great. And that's our number 20. <laughs> we both have a greater appreciation for not just what women's had to experience and their clothing, but also the existence of electricity, the invention of electricity, which was probably invented by a woman and just like Thomas Edison <laughs> just stole like stolen by <laughs> Let's be Edison and, and Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Cause that was, I added that to the list and, and you took that very well. Thanks. <laughs> you took that very <laughs> you well. Took it well. <laughs> so this isn't a lesbian film with electricity and that is too bad, but, it's a it's a trope, you know. It's like <laughs> ammonite also does not have oh electricity. Oh my god! The world to the come, world to come doesn't have does electricity. not have electricity. Yeah. What else? Like There's there a bunch of others. Are yeah. a bunch of others. The the favorite. <laughs> oh, did the favorite have? Yeah, like the it's handmaiden? not. The handmaiden. I don't think there was electricity, mm. but wasn't no, there? There was, no, there was. There was because there was a power outage. Like there was a you know lights out scene, unless that was just like fire. Like everyone like turned the candles out. I don't know. Anyway, but I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to more lesbian films with electricity that take place in modern day. That is a really funny trope. <laughs> this is not a lesbian film with electricity. <laughs> well, literal electricity, because it has lots of metaphoric electricity. Huh? Oh, 
does that segue into the next one? Nope. <laughs> That's all you. <laughs> I was like, oh, does it? Oh, no, it, it really does not. Number 21. I was going to try to say it in French, and I can't. Um, number 21 is that, are you finally serious about learning a second language? I'm finally serious about learning a second language. Uh, I think I was finally serious before this film because I was, I don't really need to get into it, but my Chinese is very rusty and I was like trying to kind of relearn. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think definitely gave me a better, a more of an appreciation of French. To be totally honest, I wish I had more time to spend learning French, but it's just hasn't been like priority lately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 21 is that. <laughs> Did I actually say it? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. I was going to say to second to that, like, Speaking of electricity, you are using it to learn a second language. <laughs> That's great. Nice. Ah, oh, good one. <laughs> yeah, I am. Oh, but this actually segs really well. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're talking yeah. about learning French. Number 22 is something we really love is how there's really something for everyone in this film, even <laughs> if you're not gay or lesbian. Yeah. I think the fact that we talk to, we have like a resident historian now who got who <laughs> yeah. sort of entered into the fandom in like a very specific way. It's like, if you love history, if you love art, if you love film, armpit sex, if you, <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you're like a total film buff, this is like the film for you. If you like mythology. Right, right, right. Yay. Yep. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, number oh 23, <laughs> we're doing it. We're doing it. Oh yeah. Number 23 is one of the many things that we love are the people that we've gotten to talk to through the podcast. And it's so interesting, the cross-section of people that have come on and also had an appreciation for the film through their very specific lenses. Like, you just mentioned Laura, who comes to it through, like, history and art and mythology. But then we've also talked to doctors, right? Like Deepa and Jen, who walked us through abortion practices in the 18th century, of course, film critics like Valerie, Alex and Orla from Seventh Row, and of course, Heather, who's been on a couple episodes with us as well. Film studies, film criticism. Yeah. Yeah. But then also just like people from the portrait community itself, like Emmy has been on a couple of times. Emmy, who's Lady on Fire 28 on Tumblr. Aixa, who's Portrait of a Lady on Fire fans. Victoria, who did Everyone's Favorite Fan Fiction. And then an honorable mention to David, who had never seen the film. <laughs> David, who, was, who had never seen the film. Has he seen the film yet? Let's not talk about that right now. Um, uh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also love how international our guests have been, you know, from Argentina, Italy, France. London, Canada. Canada. <laughs> all over the U.S. Mm-hmm. And more to come. Yeah, yeah. But then also, like... And not just like the like quote unquote official guests that we've had, but the people who've written in and left mm-hmm. messages and all the people that we've interacted with have been really interesting and come at portrait from myriad angles, you know, yeah, a bunch of different angles. Thank you. We appreciate everyone so much. It's just been like, I don't know. I don't think it would have been the same without all of our guests. Yeah, totally. And all of you listening. Okay. Oh, do I get to do this one? Oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> Okay, so the next one on our list, number 24, is my co-host. <laughs> and my wow. co-host. Yeah. It's, okay, so it's kind of cute because we've made our list <laughs> separately and we both put each other. And so, <laughs> yeah, I just want to say, like, I don't think we would have, I don't think we would have really met if it hadn't been for this film. Yeah. And, like, my life is just so much better now, you know? So this is definitely, like, appreciation for Laurel as well yeah same yeah yeah i i also don't know that i don't know maybe okay 
Maybe something. <laughs> I feel maybe like maybe something. I don't know how we started following each other, but we we do both live in like the Bay Area. I feel That's like true. S- at some point maybe we would have like met up, but because of this film, I think our friendship formed much faster <laughs> and probably much deeper like went deeper more quickly, I guess, yeah. because yeah. we had this like very big subject to talk about with all these different themes and from that jumping off point we've talked about like so many other things just like like life stuff capybaras <laughs> Mackenzie Davis like it's just like you know all these other things and it like I finally have someone to talk to you about queer tv and media mm. and films and stuff and that's been great and new to my life so thank you you know, it's kind of amazing because I feel like we actually have a ton in common. And maybe, yeah. I don't know if it's like inherent to portrait. I don't, huh? It's, just, it's weird. Like, it's weird. It is weird. It's not just like, <laughs> and it's not just like our interests, but I feel like we are on a similar wavelength, yeah. which is very strange. Like, I don't think, I don't meet like new friends that I often. Was just like, I, I don't that. connect with people that easily. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. Real weird. But really great. Yeah, real great. <laughs> 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 yeah oh man i have to segue into the next one how know. are you gonna do it speaking of co-hosts speaking of friends this is what i do with all my friends <laughs> <laughs> number 25 one of the things that we love about portrait are a new focus on armpits and fluids <laughs> subversive sex scenes um yes. new body parts spit strings are all now part of our visual vocabulary. That's a good way to put it. Thank you. (laughs) I tried real hard right now. I know it's not like everyone's cup of tea, but personally, I love it when fluids are exchanged in films, especially between two women, which sounds like porny, but (laughs) I appreciate it from like an artistic angle, I promise, (laughs) but also a porny one. (laughs) And I think even though Celine was approaching this from like tongue and armpit, Tongue in cheek, tongue in armpit. Um, it was like a little bit humorous for her, right? Because yeah. she was yeah. intentionally trying to subvert the expectations of like everyone's expecting some, you know, hardcore sex scene, right? Right, right. I think armpits are sexy for a lot of people. Um, where am I going with this? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting to see where it goes. <laughs> this is fun for me. I, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> we did a whole exploration on like the armpits, right? Like That's when true. we were trying we to did, like yeah. before the script came out, we were trying to figure out like whose armpit or whose <laughs> fingers are those. We were like armpit sleuths, and so it's really the pit that keeps on giving. Nice. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what am I talking about? So number twenty six. This is an easy seg because there would be no <laughs> armpit without. Adele and Elle. Well, no, there would be an armpit. There would just be no finger. There would be no armpit penetration. There would be no fingers without number 26. There would be no penetration without 26. Just a lonely armpit flapping in the wind. Flapping in the wind? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's your arm flapping, though. Like, if your armpit was flapping, it would have. Let it go. Let it go. (laughs) (laughs) Just a lonely armpit. We don't. We don't cool. let things go here. This isn't a Frozen just... podcast. <laughs> but it could be. It could um, be. Anyway, a number 26. armpit closing in the wind. Oh shutting in the Making wind. Making fart sounds in the wind. <laughs> wow, what were we talking about? I don't know. Okay, it's our birthday lady. Our birthday woman's Adele mm-hmm. and Elle is number 26. 
And <laughs> what, 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 what can we say here? You know, this is related to the appreciation for film and everything, but it's like, now we have this whole library of our films that we get to appreciate. And it's not just this person as a film actor, but yeah. everything else they do. Yeah. It's just mind blowing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I'm really glad that I now know about her because of this film. She's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to talk about because it's like the breadth of it, right? Like we could literally have a podcast on just yeah. Adele and Elle. But like... But she's brilliant. She's so talented. She's so adept at like everything that she does. You know, just her acting, the way that she approaches her craft is so thoughtful. The way that she lives her politics and yeah. talks about her worldview is inspiring. Yeah. I don't know. She's such a, an amazing human and I'm glad that I'm aware of her now. Yeah, I think in many ways she's like this sort of exaggerated version of Eloise where right, who you yeah. see is who she is. Mm-hmm. Everything that comes out of her mouth is just like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So much appreciation there. Yep. And so 27 is Noemi Merlant. I, I don't think anyone's surprised. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, That'd be really messed up if we left, <laughs> left right. Noemi out. Is it obvious what the last three are? It's like Adele, Noemi, and Selena. No, it's going to be a surprise. It's going to be a surprise. Okay, so. We have three endings. Noemi is, oh, that's so cute of us. (laughs) We're so cute. (laughs) Like, Noemi is so interesting and brilliant in in her own way, you know? It's like, it's so interesting seeing the background that she came from and who she's become, like, since the film has come out, the work that she's done. Yeah, not just as an actor, but like as a filmmaker in her own right, right? right? yeah. I think it's going to be so interesting and exciting to see like what happens next. Because yeah. I agree, she's extremely talented. I, I knew Adele and Ella was before the film, but I, I think I'd only knew about her through Water Lilies, mm-hmm. you know, where she was like 17 or something right. in the film. Right, yeah, yeah. And then I knew about Celine vaguely, also for the same reason. But Noemi was totally new right, to me yeah, and probably yeah, most yeah. of us unless, you know, you're, you're paying more attention to like French films. But yeah, so that was like a truly new discovery for me and very thankful for that and a big fan now. Mm-hmm. Same. You get to do our last one. We're done. That's it. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. All right. No, I think we should do this one together. <laughs> and drum roll, please. You're really good at the drum roll. Oh, am I? I don't I don't know what to... Because my microphone okay, is, like, oh, oh, floating oh, right, 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 in the right, air right, right, now. Right, okay. Do it with your face. Um, all right. I'll... <laughs> Number 28 is... <laughs> it would have been funny if we left armpits for the end, but it is... <laughs> it's Celine <laughs> We did it. I know you're shocked. <laughs> Surprise! It's Celine. So I had known Celine first, actually, through Tomboy. Mm. Tomboy didn't, you know, it's, a, it's. I think it's a good movie, but it didn't stick with me, of course, the way that Portrait obviously has. You don't have a side Tomboy podcast? <laughs> no. Oh, I do, actually, but it's, yeah. <laughs> no, getting reintroduced to Celine through this movie has been super valuable and probably saved my quarantine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, that's the first time we've really mentioned the quarantine thing about how, like, a lot of this is... Everything we're talking about is kind of, not that it's like within this context of quarantine, but I wonder if quarantine has allowed us to appreciate things a little bit more because we're just sitting here. I mean, not that we're not busy, but, you know, imagine what quarantine would have been like without Portrait. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was thinking it's actually like a good bookend to the list because Portrait Nation also, like all of this together, like saved my quarantine. Right. 
Yeah, I, I'm not like a strong believer in the auteur theory, right? Where it's like everything is the director's kind of the center of the universe of, of mm. film. In this case, I, <laughs> I was gonna say I'd make an exception because this really is her, her baby. But I don't know. I do feel like as she's sort of talked about a lot, you know, it is a collaborative thing mm-hmm. because of her. <laughs> right. I knew very, very little about filmmaking before diving into portrait. Mm-hmm. And what I learned through Celine, I think, has ruined all other filmmaking <laughs> lessons for me. Because even the way that she approaches things that I think for other people are fundamental to storytelling through visual media, things mm-hmm. like conflict, like the way that Celine approaches conflict and basically like it's not central to her characters' lives. Like that's so different from every like the way that I mean, how you're taught. Right. Yeah. Like my one of my TV writing teachers said that there is no plot without conflict. And for Celine, there is plot as long as there's like desire, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's just like very, very fundamental things like that that are paradigm shifting. And that's what Celine has introduced into my brain yep. and used to change my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Celine. Thank you, everyone for listening (laughs) yeah and talking with us elsewhere and participating and uploading your art and being awesome generally we book ended this with we started with portrait nation and ended in celine and it seems very apropos yeah we're great at this we're really good (laughs) like we're we're so good (laughs) oh man are we wrapping it up i think that's it yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) so that's the show Okay, so we I think we were like fairly extensive, but we were also we didn't really get deep into specifics of the film, right? We weren't like I love the boat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did talk about armpits. So, my point is, I'm getting somewhere, I promise. We're kind of throwing this back out to you. If there's anything that we didn't talk about, we would love to hear from you from your list of 28 things or your list of a billion things, whatever. <laughs> You can email us at podcastofaladyaroundfire at gmail.com. You can also send us a message on Instagram at podcastofaladyaroundfire or Twitter at podcast. And I also want to interject that we love getting audio messages. A couple of people have sent us audio messages recently that we will play in a future episode. But you can leave us an audio message if you go to anchor.fm slash poalof slash message. And then finally, if you are enjoying the podcast, there's a way that you can show your appreciation and support, and that <laughs> is to rate us on Apple Podcasts because we are greedy and we love seeing oh those my stars. God. It just feeds us <laughs> like we're just this giant snake in this game where we're like going around in circles, eating pellets, and those are our pellets, and we're getting bigger <laughs> and longer, and reviews, soon we're going to eat our tail. <laughs> Five-star reviews are our pellets. Yeah. Yes, not one-star reviews. Um, <laughs> And it'll also help others find the show. But thank you for listening. And we will talk to you probably in some capacity soon. Next week, probably. Likely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you. It's not moist enough. It's just, yeah. I need more moisture.